Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. And we're, we made it. We uh, we made it to the to the starting line. We'll see if we make it to the finish line. Yeah, this is uh, this is like you know that movie on the hit podcast Friendly Fire with, uh, with mm-hmm. Mel Gibson and the other guy. You know they're they're big track stars, but there's but it's also World War One. <laughs> Feels like you and I are big uh, big Star Trek podcasters, but it's also the first of twenty three weeks. Yeah, this is our Gallipoli. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's everybody been saying it. <laughs> yeah. Our parents have been talking about their Vietnam forever, and uh, if they only knew what our Gallipoli was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of thought that the that Big Rod had broken a pool cue in half and left one of the pieces on the floor in between us uh, at the beginning of this week because yeah. something pretty crazy happened, which was I got a special invite to the online premiere party for Star Trek Cold and Lower Decks, and you did not. <laughs> yeah, it didn't feel great. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a feeling that I think the both of us have had for a while, which is, uh, you know, we're not in the pocket. We don't want to be in the pocket, but we still want uh, the things that those in the pocket get access right. to. Yeah, we see them on the other side of the fence yeah. enjoying their parties and their and their free com badges or whatever. Their their gift boxes full of booze and t shirts and stuff like like. Who thinks that we wouldn't want those things? I kind of thought that that gift box was coming because they asked for my address. Maybe it is. Do you think it was stolen off your porch? I don't know. I mean, the USPS has been uh, crippled by a political appointee, so it's not inconceivable that it was just lost in the mail. Just imagine your life is the bag of stinky dicks taken human form that is a person that steals packages off of a stranger's porch and you open up a box expecting it to be anything of value and instead it's a star trek shirt and a and a pint of of whiskey oh man i was hoping for a balls shaver right what the hell is this crap yeah last week they did steal a ball shaver off of your porch and uh it's one good looking thief yeah, yeah, that, guy, that guy's getting it now. You got to forgive the thief for that. <laughs> but you were able to you were able to rectify the situation. I mean, I'm known as someone who writes a really a really sweet email. <laughs> and you and I have known this for years when you when you <laughs> oh, want, almost choked. When you want someone uh to to butter up another person using the yeah. written word. Right. I'm your guy. When when the Oxbridge Shimoda Corporation needs to curry favor with someone, uh, it's not me they turn to. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am basically uh, a hammer to the kneecap in human form when it comes to writing emails. Uh, but this time, I placed myself at the at the feet of the couple of marketing contacts that we have at CBS Viacom. Yeah, asked super nice, and they on their end, uh, super accommodating and nice. In their own right. Uh, they they sent me that link 
20 minutes before the premiere. I thought I thought there was no way I was going to get to watch the show, but uh, but at the very last moment, I was able to attend, and it was super fun. They set it up like a uh, like there was a, a chat room happening at the same time, and yeah, and they they showed us two episodes, which was sweet. There were some heavy hitters in that chat room. Anson Mount was there. Uh, yeah, Wilson Cruz was in there. Jerry O'Connell was in there. I've been in chat rooms before with Jerry O'Connell, and they usually go in a very different direction. So yeah, the chat room was running for like thirty minutes before the the show actually started, and when the show started, like the the dialogue is so dense in this cartoon that I I basically had to stop paying attention to the chat because I just couldn't process. I went full screen with it almost immediately. Yeah. Um, there, there was a fun moment where I was sitting on the couch watching this and my wife comes home and finds me watching a cartoon on the TV. And she was like, a a plant on our landing outside the front door had fallen over. And she's like, I need your help with this. Can you pause that? And I was like, I can't, I literally can't pause this. It's a live stream. (laughs) And she did not believe me. And it did not go well, Enterprise. Oh no. (laughs) I mean, we we patched things up later. Like, I couldn't explain it in the moment what was going on, and she was too frustrated to, like, hear a three-sentence reason why I couldn't. I mean, you two are grizzled veterans in the I-can't-believe-this-is-your-job wars that is still <laughs> ongoing. It's actually a quagmire at this point, Ben. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I'm sure the American people will, will uh, lose their willingness to continue to fund this. Soon enough. Alex Kurtzman truly is the Lyndon Johnson of Star Trek at this point. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps trying to de-escalate, but uh, too much political pressure on him. But uh, but yeah, it was really fun. And then afterwards, there was like a... There was like a digital after party, which I spent about five minutes in before getting bored and leaving. Somebody was tending bar, which I didn't I didn't really do anything with that. Uh, but there was somebody doing like live fan art in one room and there was a live DJ. Yeah. Like like the, the music was dope. Like the, the DJ was like doing it right and playing really fun stuff. And everybody in that chat room was like for sure feeling like they wished they were at, on that dance floor. It was dance floor blue balls for sure. Yeah, it was. it's like a video on the left side of your screen with a DJ standing in front of a green screen spinning the ones and the twos and then a little chat room on the right side of your screen with people going like, nice, love this song. I think the uh, the artwork panel was the one that, that I thought was the, the coolest because that seemed yeah. to be... I wasn't sure if the dance floor was live or if it was a pre-tape, but it was very clear that the artwork one was live and you could interact with the artist as she was drawing uh, different panels for the show and oh, ask nice. her questions about uh, her process and and all that. And uh, I thought that was neat. But um, yeah, it seemed like the rest of the, the stuff was pre-tape in a way that, I mean, I am definitely not knocking the effort uh, whatsoever. you, you I mean, when you're doing an event, you're just doing the best you can. And I thought uh, I thought what they did was great. I did too. Well, that was our review of the premiere. So tune in next week for our review of episode one. Put a little distance uh, into the production here. <laughs> Help ourselves out. Mm. I like that. I think people would burn us to the ground. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're seasoned pros at... at 
burning goodwill so yeah that's true do you want to get into the episode that we came to talk about today adam gotta do it ben uh really excited to talk about a new star trek series on our new star trek podcast uh it's lower decks season one episode one second contact we have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention who are you I thought that the opening gag of this was really well executed. It's a captain's log, but it's a captain's log in the voice of a character that just doesn't give captain vibes. Right. And I think that like when you're casting for voice, like this gag needs to work in in your casting process, right? I feel like this was the read to cast the part because from here you can draw your outwardly uh, concentric circles around a scene like this to determine, you know, what a voice actor's abilities are and strengths are. And I think if you start here, this is going to give you a lot of ideas about where else you could go. And you're right. Like Jack Quaid reads this perfectly. If what you're going for is a character like his. Captain's Log, Stardate 57436.2. The Cerritos is Aesthetically, what we get is a, a space dock of the you know, Star Trek, Search for Spock variety, you know, various various starships hovering around it. And I thought that the opening shots were really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really smart going on with this show in terms of how they kind of capture our nostalgia for TNG without relying on it too much to make us care about what happens once the story is underway. It seems like a real magic trick, like, doing the math of sprinkling enough references throughout the show to make it seem as though like it's credibly Star Trek yeah. created by credibly knowledgeable people. In the context of a jokey comedy series, you can you know ring that bell as many times as you want. Right. Um, so this is the USS Cerritos. It is a decidedly less exciting ship to be on than the Starship Enterprise. What their mission is uh, is going to be for this first episode is making second contact with a, a planet that has already been had first contact made with it. It's kind of a paper-pushing mission where they, they just go, like, kind of finalize the documentation of a species being in diplomatic contact with the Federation. This is something that we've always wondered about throughout our years of of talking about TNG and Deep Space Nine. Like, it's one thing to make dinner, uh, but the dinner maker isn't often the one cleaning the dishes after. Right. <laughs> there's, there's always going to be second contact, even though it's not really ever referred to. Like, that mission in uh, season seven of of TNG where they're like dropping off replicators on Bajor. Like that was an example of kind of a second contact mission that you got with the A squad, but you know, like it's an entire ship or fleet of ships mission to do things like that all the time. Yeah. And the enterprise is not the ship that gets tapped on the shoulder for that most of the time. So no, that's, that's got to feel like slumming it if you're them. Yeah. And I mean, like they, they talk about that all the time in TNG, right? Like anybody that gets stationed on the Enterprise, it, like everybody's like patting them on the back going like, wow, good for you. Like fresh out of Starfleet Academy and you got stationed on the Enterprise. You must be 
sharp shit. So <laughs> I wonder if there's a trauma associated to being the A squad, to be the Enterprise, and to only get the high level missions over and over and over again. <laughs> and like all you want is a second contact every once in a while just to like breathe. Yeah, yeah. Their vacations to Risa even become too exciting <laughs> to be relaxing. Jordy won't even work on the cooling system of uh of the big d anymore he just can't be around that panel yeah uh we also meet in this scene uh ensign mariner played by tony newsome and she kind of like catches ensign boimler uh practicing his captain's log in this mop closet and starts making fun of him she is totally shwasty off of some like contraband romulan booze she got at this space station and uh, she's she's got like a whole crate of of naughty stuff, and uh, she seems to be in a mood to party hard. You can tell that Mariner is cool because she's got the rolled up sleeves and the open uniform that Kirk used to rock when he was off yeah. TV. I really like the midpoint between TOS movies and TNG uniform that they have in this era of Trek. I've been seeing a lot of people posting cosplay photos of, of these characters, and uh, I'm into it. We used to talk a lot about the crew stratification between like the back zips and the front zips Mm -hmm. on the ship. And like we had a lot of, look, I'm just going to say it, had a lot of disparaging comments for the front zips that were on the crew (laughs) once the, once the A squad transitioned to back zip. But if you've got a back zip, you can't open up the front anymore. You can't let it out. I can't believe we fucking fell for that social stratification shit. I mean, I know a couple of guys as as class conscious as us, and we and, yeah. and we were suckered in to thinking that the back zips were super cool and the front zips were super drool. <laughs> After a bit of batleth play, uh, Boimler takes one to the leg, and there's something so horrifying about. And I know we've talked about this before, like stabby violence is is almost passe at this point like i feel like every television show every movie you get to experience what it's like to be stabbed through a character but slash Mm -hmm. is so much worse and then slash as depicted in this scene where where the sharp bladed object sticks and there's like the (laughs) flap open it's so graphic it's like really using the advantage of this being a cartoon to the fullest extent because if you did this in a live action like the gag is basically like a flesh wound this gruesome is not a big deal in a future where you can wave a light over it right but you have to know like a lot about star trek to get that i think like this yeah. is uh, in- inviting you in in a fun way. And then we smash cut to the title sequence, which I think is fucking great. The musical accompaniment to this, I think is, and I think throughout the show is vital in evoking that, that positive nostalgia you have for a specific moment in Star Trek time. Yeah. That, that just post TNG time. Because when you hear... The, the strings start and you see the gas cloud. Like yeah. that is everything about 90s Star Trek right there in a couple of seconds. I mean, it's a TNG image in that first shot. Yeah. But the Cerritos is engaging in all these kind of TNG era scenes and doing badly. <laughs> right. There's always going to be a Cerritos in the fleet, right? Yeah. I feel like if we had been in the writer's room, this would have been the hood, right? 
I think the hood is going on first contact missions. I'm not saying they're happy about it. (laughs) This is definitely the kind of planet that they would be going on first contact missions to. Just like some pretty chill piggy guys. This being the first episode in a series, we've got to introduce all our characters, Ben. And so we go around the horn a little bit. Uh, We meet the incoming Tendi, who has disembarked from a Previa class shuttle and uh, is ready to get her assignment. Yeah, she's a uh, she's an Orion, uh, voiced by Noelle Wells, who was a favorite of mine on SNL, and is just a great comic. She meets up with Boimler and Mariner uh, right away, who are busy at work fixing a replicator that keeps making hot bananas. <laughs> ben, there's always money in the hot banana replicator, <laughs> is what I've always said. Uh, yeah, they're in a workshop, kind of. They're not working on this replicator in the place where the replicator lives. Yeah. They've taken it from a wall and they've moved it to an area where where such things are serviced. It's especially shit duty for them because they are in on the command track and not engineers. So I got the sense that Boimler was like a bad person to ask to fix a replicator. Hmm. And I like that. I like that at this level of starship repair, it's like, I don't know, get this fucking guy to do it. Who cares? It's a commander delegating to a lieutenant, delegating to an ensign. Mariner and Boimler give Tendi a little tour of the ship. They're walking her around, uh, show her the map of the ship. She thinks that they're up on some cool deck and... In fact, they are down in the lower left-hand section. This is where they meet Ensign Rutherford, who has recently been affixed with a Vulcan cybernetic head implant. There's got to be a backstory here. Like, this is the thing that I didn't quite understand was like, uh, Rutherford's human. He's got a round ear on one side and he's got a metal pointy ear on the other. They say he's been recently augmented, but it doesn't seem like... The Federation is the kind of place where you just kind of like voluntarily have half of your head replaced with a machine. (laughs) That's more of a Borg thing, right? Right. This thing doesn't work super great. It keeps kind of trying to enforce Vulcan-ness on him. Yeah, this is is pretty fun. He's nervous for a date happening later, and the implant can't allow him to become excited about it. He's got to stay logical or this implant could... Could really fall apart. This entire tour is about establishing the differences between Mariner and everyone else, right? Uh, Mariner sprinkles throughout their dialogue this trivia about herself. She's been on a bunch of ships. Uh, she's been both promoted and demoted. She's been around the block. She used to be a lieutenant. It really makes you understand how hard she chafes against uh, the people in command, Like, she feels like she's better than this, but also clearly she's not. Uh, It's a real Adam in any workplace uh, (laughs) for the last uh, 10 to 15 years sort of sensibility, I think. I think that, yeah, she's she's a very interesting character because she acts like she has nothing to lose in the way of somebody that lives in a perfect society where if this doesn't work out for her, it's not a big Mm -hmm. deal. She can do anything else she wants. And like, I think Boimler is a little bit, he, he's, his head is gassed up by the prestige of Starfleet, but right. uh, Tendi and Rutherford are just enthusiasts. They want to like, they want to geek out. They want to do like interesting shit. And this is a place that they can go to do that. Well, I think crucially what we find out later is that uh, 
that nepotism is involved in Mariner's career where it is not in Boimler and Tendy's careers. And so like you get that contrast between people who tried really hard to get there and a person who might feel like uh, that they just deserve it based on on name. She's a, for some reason, Jake, if for some reason Jake had gone to the academy with Nog. Right. <laughs> so yeah, we kind of sleep in a hallway. It's a little disappointing, but eventually when you rank up, you get your own room. Uh, we get to see uh, a lot of areas of a ship that we suspected existed, but have not seen before, like the bunk beds. Yeah. And we're not talking about shuttlecrafts, buddy. <laughs> no. No, an entire hallway filled with them. Uh, enough to suggest that maybe you're not hot bunking on a ship like the Cerritos, but maybe you are. Yeah, we see, you know, windows, we get to go to the holodeck, and uh, that's that's very exciting for Tendi to see. She's apparently never encountered sand, and, uh, you know, sci-fi characters and sand always have fitful relationships. <laughs> it's coarse, and it gets everywhere. You get a, an, another sense of their differences, you know, when you're new to the holodeck, I think you want to act like you've been there before, right? Uh, Tendi doesn't have that kind of chill. Boimler definitely does in that he's not interested in what would interest most people. He wants to see the, his favorite areas of the ship instead. <laughs> he's, he sort of has a Barkley-like uh, covetous relationship with different departments yeah. aboard the, sh- the ship, I think. He's a real tryhard, and that is like so far from Ensign Mariner. It's it's amazing that Boimler and Mariner are even pals, given how opposite they are. Right. Uh, the scene ends with Mariner evoking an all-nude Olympic training facility <laughs> scene, which makes me wonder, are the Olympics still happening in the 24th century, and are they humans only? As a supporter of no Olympics, I really hope not. Yeah. An all-human Olympics. Why the very name is racist. <laughs> uh, Boimler gets called up to the bridge, and this is very exciting, but also nerve-wracking for him. And nerve-wracking especially because while he's up there, the first officer, uh, voiced by Jerry O'Connell. Sliders. Uh, speaking of nepotism. Uh, asks him why he's not at his uh, at his post when uh, Captain Freeman, voiced by Don Lewis, uh, grabs him and takes him into her ready room and basically asks him to become a professional snitch. And because Boimler is such a tryhard and, I mean, probably a starfucker, <laughs> he does not resist this mission at all. He's getting the attention that he craves. Yeah. We know that he he views being on the bridge as just being a treat in and of itself. Uh, to get any of the captain's attention here, even if it's negative, uh, he's soaking it up. This would be like if uh, at a Max Fun Con, Travis McElroy like, called you over and asked you to, hey, like uh, that, that guy Ben, I want to keep tabs on him. Could you, could you commit to reporting back on him for me? Would you do that for me, Adam? Yeah, like Travis McElroy would even know who I was. <laughs> That's a weird-ass fantasy, Ben. What? 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 What's happening? What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? Ransom has been bitten by a bug as he was wrapping up the away mission a scene before. And uh, there's an ECU on his neck that we get a couple of times uh, yeah. between now and 
and what happens in the bar area that makes you think something bad is going to happen. This looks like a very angry zit. I like the more and more characters we meet on this show, how Lower Deck Season 1 is leaning into the weird facial hair choices that every other Star Trek series <laughs> has ever made. You know, like there's weird mustaches, there's there's male pattern baldness, yeah. there's asymmetrical hair like with Tendi. Like there's a real diversity in hairstyle on the show that I love a lot. I saw a lady with a Geordie visor that I uh, yeah. really appreciated. There's a there's a Sikh head wrap in the shuttle bay. Yeah. I mean, I think that like we, we talked about this on uh, a little bit on our TAS episodes, like some of the things that you get to do in animation are, you know, design characters that would be impossible to do practically. But also I think that TAS looks shitty because basically all the characters look the same. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know if I, I notice it more in animation or if I just notice it more lately, but the amount of different kinds of people on this ship really stood out to me as being fun and cool. Right. It feels like uh, they're filling the scenes with visuals to enjoy. Computer, send me a suck up to clean up my mess. I have a giant torso and little hands over. So we get kind of two stories in this episode that run in parallel, and I'm not really sure which is the A and which is the B, but... In his capacity as professional snitch, Boimler spots Mariner driving off in a Star Trek Nemesis-style truck with a bunch of contraband on the planet surface, so he goes and follows her. Meanwhile, Ensign Rutherford is on his hot date in the bar uh, back on the ship. This is where Commander Ransom's bug bite uh, fully kicks into high gear, and it's a, it's a zombie bug bite. Rutherford's date sounded so familiar to me and I just couldn't place her voice. And then it clicked like that's Jess McKenna of the Off Book podcast. Oh. And she's great in this. I've seen her perform live a couple of times. She is super talented singer and, uh, and performer. Yeah, cool to see people uh, one degree of separation uh, involved in this show. That's fun. Yeah. Is Ensign Barnes a trill? Maybe she's pre-trill. <laughs> maybe she hasn't had the implant yet. Or maybe she's like half trill. She's got like some of the spots, but not all of the spots. I don't know. I think it'd be weird if you were half trill and there was like body symmetry to the dots that worked in that way. Like <laughs> just above the waist, just above where the ankylosaur would go in is where you got your dots. When you when you get ankylosaur implantation, they go all the way down. Mm. <laughs> when Ransom turns in the bar it is a fucking bloodbath yeah. it is like straight out of alien uh when the chest burster bursts forth i feel like in less than five seconds a dozen people die yeah the uh the whole bar turns into a you know just phaser fire everywhere black vomit running down the walls and onto the floor I like that uh, that Ensign Rutherford and, and Ensign Barnes kind of continue their date while they're hungered down behind that table. <laughs> yeah. They keep kind of trading banter. So, where are you quartered? Deck nine, by the squash courts. This is pretty, like, routine shit if you're a Starfleet, right? So, like, no, no, no reason to let it ruin your good time. Back on the surface, uh, Boimler has confronted Mariner on, on what he believes to be a real Oliver North uh, arms trading situation <laughs> and when she produces the the shovel he realizes just how wrong he's been 
Yeah. Unclear if this is a prime directive violation. I guess it wouldn't be if you're if you've made first contact. Right. But uh but she is providing uh farm implements to a couple of uh impoverished locals and uh he doesn't understand that, so he pulls a phaser on her and them and it gets into a real like regulation citing contest and the local aliens uh get a little weirded out and run uh, into a cave uh, and they leave the, the the door open to this cave and it's revealed that this is not a cave but a paddock for a giant spider. There's one of the, the porcine Galadonian aliens in their overalls yelling, Shooter! <laughs> Shooter! You're not supposed to shoot her though because it'll spoil her delicious, delicious milk, Adam. Right. So this turns into an opportunity for uh, Ensign Mariner to kind of show Ensign Boimler what it is like to be a somewhat more seasoned Starfleet officer than he is. She's been on five ships. She's been all over the galaxy. She's been on lots of planets. He's only been on four. And he counts Vulcan and Earth among those. You can't. I mean, those don't count. Those are barely planets, Adam. Yeah. He's a guy who's padding his sexual numbers yeah. <laughs> uh, in mixed company. She is the kind of girl who says, are we in a dangerous fight with a giant beast? Let's get naked. <laughs> this is another pretty clear distinction between Mariner and non-Mariner here because uh, she has the experience of solving her own problems and leans into that idea pretty hard here where Boimler is so green uh so callow that he wants to uh, ask for help immediately. He wants to go back to the ship right away. Yeah, she throws his com badge into the into the distance, like that lady that tricked Riker into bringing the game back to the the Enterprise. Yeah, usually that that leads to some Jamaharon whenever a badge <laughs> gets thrown. Yeah, well, she throws the badge and then they get naked, so it's not yeah. it's not super far from what happened in that episode. She tries to tackle this spider. It's kind of reminiscent of that scene in Starship Troopers, where Rico gets on the back of the uh, yeah giant bug. I thought the same. That was fun. Yeah, but she gets thrown off, and Ensign Boimler starts getting sucked in and out of the mouth of this spider. You can't tell me that the writers of this episode are not huge fans of the movie Evolution, <laughs> I think, from, from this scene. Yeah. You and I are big fans of that movie. I think I think it is a funny, funny movie that I would recommend, but uh, that's what this scene made me think of right away. We should do a bonus episode about Evolution sometime. Deal. So, Spider Fight continues apace but it's just a fun fight the the locals explain that spider is a is a vegetarian an herbivore and it's just sucking on boimler for his liquid it's just sucking it's not fucking <laughs> eating ain't cheating as they say on uh, on galadonia <laughs> i love how uh how chill the pig people of galadonia are at the sight of one of their livestock just like slurping a person like so much spaghetti. 
you uh, want a snack or something? I love the design of those characters, you know? Like, that's another using animation for its strengths moment. I wonder if that they are pink was a nod to animated series. So many <laughs> aliens are yeah. on that show. That's a good point. Back on the Cerritos, the date uh, continues with a, a very Star Trek colon first contact reminiscent walk across the hull. Ensigns Rutherford and Barnes, um, they need to get to another part of the ship and they have to put on put on spacesuits to do it. They get into a, I guess a turbo lift or something and they're like catching their breath and, and laughing and they start to start to get a little romantico. But then Ensign Rutherford gets a little distracted by the fact that their combat just didn't override the latch opening mechanism when they entered at first. And he gets he gets real excited about the running a diagnostic opportunity. I feel like when you've made it to the big D, you have room for uh, a life outside of work in a way that the people in lower decks don't have the room or the time for most times like and that's what this rutherford scene tells me like he is so eye on the ball eye on career eye on work yeah that that he just doesn't have the room for anything else he cannot even notice this love right in front of him yeah she's such a babe focus on her (laughs) in the six bay uh we get a few scenes with ensign tendy you know just basically running around doing anything she can to help uh, the cat-looking Dr. Tiana, who uh, uh, is a doctor that really reminds me of, like, Bones McCoy and Dr. Pulaski in a lot of ways. Her bedside manner is so bad, Ben, that I called her Dr. Cat's unprofessional therapist. <laughs> the Six Bay is a fucking mess. It's just, it's just full of black barf. It's a floor drain free area as far as we can tell and that's going to be a real mess to clean up later ensign boimler and mariner after their scrap with the giant spider beam up and uh ensign boimler is covered in this goo this pink goo from inside the spider's mouth and immediately upon getting onto the ship dr tiana analyzes the molecular structure of this goo and realizes that it's the key it's the linchpin to stopping the zombie plague from spreading through the ship. And I love the way they they frame these shots, like kind of shifting the focus from the foreground of all of the bridge crew to the background characters sitting there, like having gone through their own ordeal. And the bridge crew are all kind of congratulating each other for solving the, the zombie plague problem well. Ensign Mariner is like, hey, like Ensign Boimler, like got the goo. So you should give him some credit. No? Okay. Whatever you got to do. The captain kind of anonymizes Boimler, even though they've had meetings together. (laughs) She refers to him as the slime, basically. We must protect this slime. (laughs) It means uh, if you don't make it to the six bay for Dr. Katz to make uh, the cure to this vaccine... As long as they get some of the goo there, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it means. <laughs> it does really matter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Boimler has a little kind of after action with uh, with the captain. He actually kind of covers for Mariner. So it seems like uh, he has realized that he should be more loyal to his friends than to 
these uh, these elitist fucks at the top of the ship. As soon as Boimler's out of the scene, uh, she whips around and FaceTimes her husband, who is an admiral, and they agree that this Mariner problem is a real issue for a lot of reasons. Uh, maybe first and foremost is because it's their daughter. Yeah, big reveal. I liked it. Uh, I also liked the scene between Tendi and Rutherford in the bar at the end. It seems like maybe sparks may fly with those two. They're both try-hard enthusiasts. Yeah, I mean, Rutherford doesn't seem like there's much of a future with uh, Jess McKenna. No, she's, uh, she's moving on to bigger and better things. But uh, yeah, and then uh, there's a little kind of button on the episode moment with uh, Ensign Mariner and Ensign Boimler where uh, she kind of uh, sees his potential finally. It would appear as though the rest of the series will be more friendly between them as a result of this mission. Yeah. They met their challenge head on. It formed a bond between them, and it looks like it will mean that a Mariner takes it upon herself to be Boimler's mentor. Yeah. She's an interesting character because she's really got a hostility toward ambition. And I wonder if that is a reaction to demotion. Like, okay, well, if I'm not going to like excel in this, then I'm going to be mad at anyone that does. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Did you like the episode? I did like the episode. It did a great job of feeling like a real Star Trek show while also feeling funny and inventive and a fresh take. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I've seen a few tweets online where people are posting like, wow, I really liked the first episode of Lower Decks. And then you see the replies to those tweets filling up with, I saw the trailer and it looked like dog shit, fuck Rick and Morty. I was like a very late adopter of Rick and Morty, but I was also a late adopter in like a, an almost total vacuum in terms of knowing what the Rick and Morty fandom is like. I just, I had heard from a couple of people that are like in their 40s that they had enjoyed episodes of it. So I gave it a try and I was like, I think this is a funny and smart show. And then like, you know, it's, it's that uh, finding out what Sublime fans are like. Yeah, it's not the band I hate, it's their fans. Right. That kind of quality. Yeah. And um and so like I think that there has been a lot of weird prejudice about this series from that quarter where people are worried that it is going to make it's going to be a poison pill for the Star Trek fandom and bring an undesirable kind of asshole into the fold. And I don't think that this show will do that. Like that's my prediction based on the, the two episodes that I have seen. I think proportionally, there's too much Star Trek here versus the amount of Rick and Morty in it for that kind of center to hold. Yeah. And it's got heart, you know? And I think that's the crucial element for a snarky, wry, uh, comedic cartoon show. Like, that's the reason I love The Simpsons and don't particularly care for South Park. Like, The Simpsons has a fucking ton of heart. I think this episode uh, proves that there is some real heart in this show. So I liked it a lot. I did too, Ben. And I got to say, I expected to like it. I think when I read about the the people involved in it, my expectations were high in a way that you do not want to go into a new thing uh, <laughs> like that, I don't think. Just my experience has been littered with a lot of letdowns in that yeah. way, but... 
I really like the episode. I I like the second episode too, which we'll talk about next week. But I mean, maybe the one thing that I'm known for on this show is is making the case for Star Trek as a place. And when you refer to the people who are ready to hate a new Star Trek thing, uh, it makes me pivot into that kind of of defense. You know, Star Trek is not the Enterprise. It is not Captain Picard. Uh, it is not Gene Roddenberry. It isn't. It's a yeah. place to tell stories. And uh, comedy is a kind of story. And I think any world has room for all genres. And I definitely feel like this is Star Trek in all the right ways. I think the hardest written entertainment form, I really believe, is half-hour comedy. Yeah, You have so little time to establish story while at the same time uh, giving us a joke, like a setup and a joke every 30 seconds. And it seems like an impossible task for a show that is not chained to uh, a pre-existing world the way this one is. <laughs> yeah, And yet this one is, and it, it succeeds. Totally. In a way that, that feels miraculous at this point. Now we have a lot more episodes to go. If it's like any other show, it's going to have great episodes and clunkers, but this was a really neat start. And it's, I think it belongs in this greater Star Trek televised universe. Well, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages on this program, Adam? Yeah, we should take the priority one message, uh, put it in our mouths, and then uh, and then <laughs> suck it in and out. Gross. That's what we do to all of them, right? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is from 40-year-old Ensign Aaron L. And it's to any FOD in reach of this message. And it goes like this. This is a general distress call from the Hyundai Accent Class shuttlecraft One Mo Coco No-No. After a brutal 18 months, I have finally escaped from a, quote, relationship, unquote, and am currently en route to the planet Madison in the Wisconsin system. Mm. Landing situation is uncertain but promising. My cat, Vicious, is mildly upset, but glad to be away from that dog. So that's the end of the message. I, I, I guess uh, what 40-year-old Ensign Aaron L. is looking for is just uh, friendship with uh, FODs, but maybe also a romantic uh, kind of friendship. You know, there's a lot of great FODs in the uh, greater Madison, Wisconsin area. That's true. We met quite a few when we did a live show there. That was a legendary live show where we both basically learned that we should not get shithouse drunk before we go out on stage. And also that we should definitely let Plevim and Raz uh, give us top hats and let us ride their tandem bicycle. Here's what I'll say. That was the perfect show for its location. <laughs> True. When in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, drink Wisconsinably. Ben, our second priority one message is from Captain Dave, the tool man tool. <laughs> it's to Ensign Scotty. The message goes like this. Imagine my surprise being called out by an Ensign for being bad at board games when you didn't even bother showing up at Rock Weekend in March. Something about babysitting sick cruise ship passengers? A likely excuse. I challenge you to any board game at the upcoming Rock Weekend 2.0 in Rocktober. 
I'll even give you a three jazz gummy handicap. Whoa, <laughs> shit. D-I-L-Y-B-I. I got news for you, Captain Dave. Uh, as much of a failure as Rock Weekend in March was, uh, I don't like your chances of Rock Weekend in Rocktober. So <laughs> I think you better kick it to next year as far as a live event goes. That, that of course, is the, the policy of Greatest Gen Productions. Yeah. Uh, I would not expect a live show out of either of us. Whether you're an ensign or a captain, we want you to be safe out there. Yeah. Uh, whether you're an ensign or a captain, you can go over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, get a priority one message, talk a little shit to another friend of DeSoto. That would be fun. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and we appreciate it because it helps us keep this, this streak alive. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? I think it's Mariner, and I think it's easy Wow! Uh, this episode. I think uh, she's the one that's having the most fun. She's the one as uncoupled from the reality of her situation, maybe, <laughs> as anyone else is. Yeah. Uh, if you're new to this show, uh, this was the Drunk Shimoda <laughs> nomination segment with, that we then renamed the Edward Larkin segment after the great Short Treks episode. Uh, yeah, Mariner's having the most fun. What about you, Ben? Hard agree. Mariner is the drunkest and having the most fun. And I feel like the most likely to accidentally unleash a swarm of tribbles just through negligence or carelessness. Agreed. Well, uh, the both of us are extremely likely to do another episode about Lower Decks. That episode is coming next week. It's Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 2. It's called... Envoys. Yeah, and uh, we have actually already seen this episode, uh, so I, I shan't reveal too much, but uh, let's get some fun stuff with a Klingon warrior and uh, some drunk driving. You know what happens during road trip episodes, Ben. Bad yeah, things. Bad things. Uh, looking forward to it, but we're going to leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's from here. Uh, thanks for listening, and... Uh, Thanks again to everyone that supported in the pledge drive. And uh, I'm sure Rob's will thank you as well. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Uh, We'll see you next week for the second in 26 straight weeks of brand new Greatest Discovery episodes. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Thanks again for all the support over the Max Fun Drive. We really appreciate you joining us on that chill four weeks of a drive. It was a lot of fun, and it really, really demonstrated how much the show means to you, and it means a whole heck of a lot to us. I love working on this show, so thank you. Find us on Twitter and Instagram under Greatest Trek. That's for everything Greatest Discovery and Greatest Generation. Those social accounts are managed by our buddy Bill Tilly. Thanks, Bill. Our theme music is by the great Adam Ragusea. He helped out during the drive as well. Go check out his cooking videos on YouTube. Leave us a five-star rating and review on whatever podcatcher you have. It really helps us out. And we'll see you next week on another episode of The Greatest Discovery.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.